the book of Acts, the second chapter. So ironic in the church, we, we celebrate Christmas, which we should, we celebrate Easter, which we should, and every once in a while we make reference to Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I don't know if you know that or not, but this is Pentecost Sunday. And really, it's, <clears throat> it ought to be one of the high holidays in the church. You know, because it's really, uh, you know, I know according to John 20 that the disciples were born again in the upper room when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. But you know, really, the the church was born on Pentecost Sunday because that's the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where we as the church, the body of Christ, were equipped to be able to do the work that Jesus called us to. You know, because it's about what Jesus has called us to. Amen. So let's start reading in Acts, the second chapter, and We'll begin in the first verse, and it says, <clears throat> When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they're all with one accord in one place. You know, it's really hard to read this without preaching on it because it's so good, but there's some other things I want to get through, so we'll just have to spend another Pentecost or Sunday talking about it. But, you know, <clears throat> the day had fully come. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 to go uh, and, and remain in Jerusalem until they've received power from on high. And so they, they were there, and what they were waiting for was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You and I today, we don't have to wait for that any longer because he's been poured out upon us in our lives. And so if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues, you can receive that today. You don't have to tarry. You don't have to wait for it, because what they were waiting for was the day of Pentecost. They were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We receive it by faith. And so now we're going to read on. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One set upon each of them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred and the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own tongue. And they all marveled uh, were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Gentiles? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? 
And then we go on down and they mention a whole bunch of places that I can't pronounce. And we get down to the 10th verse in the middle of the verse. And they, they said, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in their own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. Father, we thank you for the word. We ask you to speak to each of our hearts today as we study this subject. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I want to talk with you today, using that last phrase, there they said, whatever could this mean? So I want to talk with you today about the meaning of Pentecost. Whatever could this mean? How could this apply to our lives? And, and uh, I'm going to come at it from a, a little different direction. You know, because I think oftentimes when we think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues, we think of it all the time uh, in a personal context of how it applies to me and, and what I'm going to do and what this, that, and, but it's, it's about me. But you know, to really interpret Acts, the second chapter, we have to interpret it in the light of Acts chapter 1 according to the command that was given to us through Jesus himself. And so, in Acts, the first chapter, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them that they need to go to Jerusalem and they need to remain there until power, they receive power from on high. In the fifth verse, Jesus says, and be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so this day was coming, the day of Pentecost, when they're all gonna be baptized, they were gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the eighth verse, and it says that they were to be witnesses for Christ, they're to be witnesses in both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, they were going to receive power from on high to be a witness, to, to speak of the, the glories of God. And so they went to Jerusalem and they rain, remained in Jerusalem until they were, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and as we've already said, there was already the working of the Holy Spirit. We see it in, in John, the, the 20th chapter, the 22nd verse, when, when Jesus appeared in the room to walk through the wall into the room to his disciples. And he said to them, you know, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And he breathed on them. And they received the Spirit of God. And, and I believe that at that time they were born again. But you know, these same disciples that were born again, uh, they were full of fear and, and the boldness and the confidence didn't come into their life until they had received power from on high, until they had received the fullness of God. 
We need the fullness of God in our lives. You know, and prior to this, there were times where, where, where the Holy Spirit would manifest for a, a particular act to, to strengthen, to empower uh, the believers for a particular event. But Jesus said to us that when the Holy Spirit came, he would not forsake us. He would not leave us. In the Gospel of John, the seventh chapter, you know, isn't it interesting? When Jesus was in the upper room and he met with his disciples, we find this in, in the Gospel of John, but when he was in the upper room, he began to, to speak to his disciples. He began to speak to those that were gathered together. And the primary subject that he spoke to them about was the Holy Spirit who was gonna to come to them. And it took three chapters. Now, <clears throat> I don't believe that God was seeing how big of a book he could put together. I believe that was put, what was put in the Bible, what was, it was put in there for a purpose. It was put in there for a reason. And so when he spent three chapters and he spent the end of his earthly life, the last words that he was gonna speak to his disciples on this side of glory, and he spent three chapters talking about the importance, the significance, the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, I have a feeling it was kind of important. And I think oftentimes we take the things of God for granted. We take the workings of the Holy Spirit and we look at it so flippantly. But he's telling us this is important. He's saying to them, do not venture out on your own. Do not leave Jerusalem until you have received power from on high because it's essential for you to fulfill the work that I'm talking about to you right now, that you might be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world. In John, the seventh chapter, the 37th verse, Jesus is speaking and he says, and it says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know, oftentimes in the scripture, water is a type of, of the Holy Spirit. We see concerning salvation that Jesus talked to them and he, he said concerning salvation that we would draw from the well of life. But it's something we've got to draw from. Here he's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he says it'll be as a river of living water that will flow from our very innermost being. Do you realize you don't have to be a witness. You just have to allow there to be an overflow. And it'll affect everybody around us. And that's the primary way that we're supposed to be a witness, is to be in the overflow. The rivers of living water that are to flow out of us 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. In John, the 14th chapter, I gotta calm down because I wanna teach this today. So just calm down. But how in the world can you be baptized in the Holy Ghost and be calm? I mean, there's just something not right about that. You know, some of you shake because you got so much Holy Ghost in you and you don't do nothing with it. You know, it's probably what some of these, well, I won't go there. Because you've got to be calm. John 14, 17th verse. It says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You know, people say, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it have been wonderful to live in Old Testament times and to see the stuff that took place with Abraham and Moses and Noah and, and the, the whole bunch? No! Because he just, he just come upon them periodically for they could, so they could perform something for a particular event. The Holy Ghost, think about this, the Holy Spirit lives, has taken up residence. That means he ain't gonna move out. He lives in you. And he's never gonna leave you. And he's never gonna forsake you. And so, the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is significant for the period of time that we live in right now. The period of time that we live in right now, we give it, we give it different names. We, we, we call it the, uh, the time of grace because the grace of God has been poured out on the earth. It's the, time, it's the time of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? He's not gonna leave. He's gonna stay, he's gonna remain. He wants to live big in each and every one of us so that the will of God can be accomplished in the earth. Pentecost signaled the dawning of a new age, the age that we're in right now, the age of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit in God's people is to empower them to witness to all nations. You know, I, I love what the Holy Ghost does in my life on a daily basis. I love it, I'm so appreciative of it. I'm thankful that I pray in tongues because being able to pray in tongues, as it says in Romans, I can pray for things when I don't know how to pray for things. And the helper, the Holy Ghost, is there to help me with it. And that's so marvelous, that's so wonderful. But you know what? The part, primary, the number one reason, the number one before anything else reason that the Holy Spirit has come is so that we can be a witness to all nations. So that God's will 
can be accomplished in the earth. The point of Pentecost is missions. And the goal of missions is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Listen to what it says in Habakkuk 2.14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as waters cover the seas. That's the purpose. That's the reason for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And thank God as believers, we have all kinds of other benefits that go along with it. But the primary reason for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is it's because there is a lost and dying world that needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And how shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they hear unless they be sent? They have to be able to hear. And so we're senders and we're goers. Amen? Amen. And so I want to talk about Four things concerning Pentecost. To understand Pentecost, we need to understand the Jewish festival of Pentecost. It's not a coincidence that God poured out His Spirit on His disciples on this particular day, Pentecost. The Jewish people, they had, they, had, they had more than this, but there were, there were basically three main feasts that they celebrated every year. Passover in the spring, celebrating Israel's deliverance from Egypt, followed immediately by the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The second is, is Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks which occurred 50 days or seven weeks after Passover. And then in the fall, there was the Feast of, of Tabernacles. Pentecost was, uh, was an initial harvest feast where the Jews were to offer to the Lord the first fruits of their grain, first fruits. Among the ritual, they were to wave before the Lord two loaves of wheat bread made with leaven. So they'd take this bread, this bread and then wave it. And I'm not going to read it. Um, you can look it up for yourself and read it for yourself. It's in Levit Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 21. But this picture came to fulfillment in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Until this time, I'm reading my notes because I don't have them memorized. Don't have a photographic memory like some preachers. I gotta have notes. Until this time, the Lord's people consisted of Israel. And there were a few uh, proselytes, those were Gentiles that were converted to Judaism. Not all in Israel were believers, but it was through that nation that God worked through his covenant promise to form a people for himself. And so that's why we talk about Israel as being uh, God's people. 
But now the Lord formed the body of Christ, the church made up of Jews and Gentiles on equal footing. And that was the significance of the two loaves of bread. It was basically a type where it was looking forward to the future where these two loaves of bread, Gentile and Jew, would be made one. We're one in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul talked about this miraculous happening and he refers to it as a mystery. You know, <clears throat> we think of mystery and we think of something hidden from. But the biblical mystery, because there's things in the New Testament that it, they're referred to as a mystery and they're referred to as a mystery because they were hidden for. They weren't hidden from, but they were hidden for. You can study the Old Testament and other than this type of the showbread and so forth, which they didn't really understand. The church, the body of Christ was a mystery. And so Paul refers to it as a mystery. And if you've got your Bibles, you can, we'll, we'll turn to it in, in Galatians, the book of Galatians, the third chapter. And we'll begin in the fourth verse and it says, <clears throat> by which when you read, you may understand Okay, let's back up to the third verse. Now that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand by knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. In other words, prior to this, this wasn't made known to us, and so it was hidden for this generation. As it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. And so what's the gospel about? The, 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 the gospel is the revealing of the mystery of which I became a, a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given me by the effectual working of his power. And so it was real, revealed to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? There's a lot of people that are born again that don't understand the church. And the reason that they don't understand, I'm not saying that they're, that they're not born again, but they don't have revelation of the church. They don't understand the significance of the church. And it's because they haven't allowed the workings and the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal it to them. Oh, they've heard about it. But you know, we talked a while back about how um, we have people that hear, but they don't hear. They have ears, but they don't hear. And there's many in the church that are that, are that same way. They, they hear, but they don't hear. They don't realize that our, our primary function 
as the body of Christ is to expand it. You know, any healthy organism multiplies. We are the church. We are to be a healthy organism. And that means we are to reproduce. We are to multiply. And that's what he's talking about here. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus is speaking and he's directing his attention towards Peter. And remember, Peter just had the revelation. But Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And, and they said, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And right after Jesus, after uh, Peter says that, Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so in other words, you receive this by revelation. If you want to know who Christ is in your life, it isn't head knowledge. It's by revelation. It's by knowing who he is. Why is it so difficult to change my life? Because you're trying to do it by head knowledge rather than by revelation of what Jesus has done for you. But then Jesus goes on, and, and of course this has brought great confusion in, in uh, some circles in interpretation, but it should be just as clear as a bell. And he says, and I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The word Peter is translated a pebble. It's like a pebble. And he says, but upon this rock, and the word rock there, it means bedrock. Jesus was not saying, Peter, upon you I'm gonna establish the church. He was saying, Peter, upon the revelation that you have of Jesus Christ, upon that revelation, I will build the church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You may feel like all hell is broken loose. You may feel like there's no hope. But let me tell you something. Get your eyes back on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, because Jesus says, the gates of hell, even the gates of hell being whipped open against you shall not prevail because of what Jesus has done. And it's, but it's established, it's based upon the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit has come to work in our lives. And Jesus said that you go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is our our environment, our, our homeland. And so our, our call is to Jefferson, our call is to Greene County, our call is to the surrounding areas. It's what he's called us to. And so when we understand the festivals, we understand that yes, when they were given, it was singular, it was for the Jews. But Jesus in his fulfillment of it, made it available to you and I. Gentiles. 
The, th the second thing, the scope of God's plan is all nations. You know, there, there, there's nothing more selfish than being concerned about my four and no more. Because there's a, there's a whole world out there that needs, that needs Jesus. And every one of us, in one way or another, we are to participate. We're to be a part of that as a member of the body of Christ because that's the call, that's the, that's the responsibility of the body of Christ. You know, it's interesting as as, as we, as I study this portion of Acts and Acts, the second chapter, and you, you see this, this list of, of all these nations, these peoples that are mentioned in that section that I didn't read. But you can go back and read it for yourself. Your English is probably better than mine. You know, but it, here's this list of all these these peoples, and he's, it's interesting because if you, if you begin to study it on, on a map, you, re, you realize that he, he starts to the east of Jerusalem, and it totally encircles all of, 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 of Israel, of, of Jerusalem. But the important part of it is in verse five, where he says, men from every nation under heaven, and so what that means is, if that nation wasn't mentioned here, they're included. And so the gospel has been taken to be taken to all peoples, to all the world. You know, what I think is very interesting, if you go back to, uh, you don't have to go back there now, but read it later. If you go back to Genesis, the 10th chapter, and it's right prior um, to, to the Tower of Babel, and uh, in Genesis 10, it gives a list of all of these peoples. And it says that God said this. God said, uh, because, Mr. Schroeder's paraphrase, because they're all saying, they're all speaking the same thing, the same language, nothing shall be impossible to them. Because they're speaking the same thing, Nothing shall be impossible to them. And so what did God do? He confused their language. And they were distributed. They, they were scattered all over the earth. And, and, and so we've, we've had to deal with this mess of language ever since then. But what did, what did the changing of the language do? It divided them. It separated them. Isn't it interesting that one of the um, attributes or symptoms or one of the things that took place on the day of Pentecost, when they had come together and there was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they all spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Isn't it interesting, the thing that was used in the Old Testament to bring division was released in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost to bring humanity back together once again, to bring us into that place of unity. 
And isn't it ironic that probably more than anything else, the attack that comes against Charismatics and Pentecostals is the manifestation of tongues? Why would the devil want to attack that to such a degree? Because he knows what it'll produce in our lives. You know, <clears throat> when we'd go to Italy, when we go to Honduras, when we were in Africa, when I was in South America, even when I was in Thailand, and pray for those people that have to learn that language. But you know what? We didn't have the same language, but we had unity. And even during the time of, of worship, when they'd have the words up there, and I'm still working on English, so obviously I couldn't read those words. But you know what? I'm able to worship with them alongside, and I, I, I'll, I'll sing in the Spirit. And you know what's really weird is by the second and third day, you feel like you're understanding what's being sung. There's a unity that comes with it. It isn't to bring division, it's to bring unity in our lives. Notice what John said in Revelations 5, 9. Jesus purchased for God with his blood, and this is what it says, men from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. So we can't rest until every nation has heard the gospel. Jesus said one of the signs of his return is going to be that every people, every nation has heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So every nation needs to hear, but, but the other part of it is, how are we ever going to be able to accomplish that? Well, we won't apart from the power of God. And so we're going to talk about the third ingredient that's necessary, and that's the power for fulfilling God's plan. It's the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to reiterate the fact, thank, thank God for all the the blessings that we have in having the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the impact that he has upon our life. But we've got to be careful. We can't ever lose sight of the primary purpose for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was to impact the nations, to touch the nations with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not just simply a force. The Holy Spirit is a personality. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's God. And he's God in every way. You know, he's, he's not impersonal. I mean, if you ignore him, you're not going to get any of the benefits of it. But he's not impersonal. He cares about us as individuals. Impersonal people don't get grieved. And it tells us in Ephesians 
He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You've been sealed by the Holy Ghost. Thank God. He seals us. We can trust him. We can depend upon him. In the Greek, he's called the paraclete. Jesus refers to him as the paraclete, the, the counselor. As I've been reading through my devotional of Rick Renner, this month he's, he's spending the whole month talking about the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, he talks about him being the helper and so forth. But he used a term for the Holy Spirit <clears throat> that I've not heard anyone use before. Maybe you have, but I'd never heard it. And he referred to the Holy Spirit as our coach. And he says, what does a coach do? A coach encourages you. A coach directs you. A coach instructs you. A coach teaches you and shows you the way. The Holy Spirit is our coach. If we'll learn to trust him, to look to him. Literally, he's, he's the one called alongside to help. You know, even when you feel the most lonely you've ever been, you feel like everyone and everything has forsaken you, there's one who will never leave you. There's one who will never forsake you, and that's the Holy Spirit. But again, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself upon us. But all we have to do is begin to acknowledge him. You know, Billy, not Billy Brim, um, Benny Hinn, close. Benny Hinn, several years ago, he came out with a book, and, it, and the title of the book was Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And the point of the book was this. We need to acknowledge him. Oftentimes we, we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. We cry out to, to him if we have a need. But how often do we, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit? How often do we just simply say, Holy Ghost, help. <laughs> I need some assistance. And you know what? He's right there. He's there for that purpose, to help us, to assist us to give us direction, we can, we can rely upon him, we can, we can depend upon him, and he'll never leave us. We know that he is God and that he performed deeds. You know, he, he created. He's a creator. Only God can create. Oh, men think they're creative creatures but they can't create from anything that God hasn't unless God has already created it. We won't go into that today. In Acts 5.3, Peter accused Ananias of lying to the Holy Spirit. And then he adds in the fifth verse, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. We need to recognize and acknowledge when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we didn't just receive an infilling of vapor. We received the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who abides in us, to guide us and direct us. You know, I've mentioned this earlier, before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, he would, 
He would empower people. He, he regenerated people because I believe that the disciples in the upper room were born again, but they hadn't received the fullness of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, you know, he would come upon them so that they could perform a, a particular duty. But listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 51:11. He says, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Let me tell you something. As a born again, spirit-filled believer, for you to pray that prayer is an inappropriate prayer for you to pray because he's already told you, I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. For you to say, oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. How can you do that? That's a, that's a demonstration of doubt and unbelief because he's already told you, I will not. I will not take my Holy Spirit from you. Now we can be ignorant, foolish, and stupid and deny him and tell him to get out of our life. And if we do that long enough, he'll eventually honor our request. Like I said, we can do it if we want. I happen to think that an individual is pretty stupid. Well, pastor, you shouldn't say stupid in church. Well, you shouldn't be that stupid. But you know what, we can reject him if we want to, but he'll never reject us. Well, it got real quiet in church all at once. Guess that's what happens when you say stupid. <laughs> My grandkids aren't in here. They would correct me. Grandpa, you shouldn't say stupid. So. In Luke eleven thirteen, it says, if you then being evil, you know, <clears throat> I like to think of myself as being a pretty good father. But let me tell you, on my best day, in comparison to God, I'm evil. That's my best day. And so he says, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know what that means? That means if you ask him for the Holy Spirit, if you've not received the fullness of the Spirit, He's not going to turn you away. He's going to answer you. And he's going to give you what you need. In the upper room, Jesus had told his disciples that he would send them the Holy Spirit to be with them forever. Forever. You're never, ever going to be alone because the Holy Spirit will always be with you. He added in John 14, you know him, the Holy Spirit, you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, you know him because you abide, he abides with you and will be in you. He would come upon the Old Testament saints but he hasn't just merely come upon us. He's come to live 
within us. And that's continued since that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon humanity and he's never taken it away. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit in the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus in Acts 1.5. He said, go and you shall be filled. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8, the Spirit of God was poured out upon the Samaritans through the apostles so that both they and the apostles would realize that they were all members of the same body of Christ. There's evidence. The same thing happened to the Gentiles in Acts the 10th chapter and with the followers of John the Baptist in Ephesus in Acts 19. What did it show? It showed that we were Jew and Gentile, that we were members, we were of the same body. We were of the body of Christ. And you know what? It was a pattern of what took place in the book of Acts. In Acts the second chapter of what Jesus spoke of. In Acts the first chapter, the eighth verse. You know, in the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it was, it was marked by three phenomenas. The first was, there was a sound of a violent rushing wind that filled the house. Then, there was the visible sign of tongues of fire resting on each person. Then thirdly and finally, there was the miraculous speaking of tongues which none had previously heard or experienced. The sound of the violent rushing mighty wind, it's, it's a picture of the invisible power of God in our lives. You know, sometimes we may not see it, but I want to I want to assure you of something. His power is there. His power is there to bring wholeness, to bring victory in every area of our lives. You know, we, we, we see this great power. You know, I went through um, uh, Joplin, Missouri shortly after the tornado went through there a few years ago. Everything was just, it was just tore apart. But you know, they, they didn't see the wind. I mean, you, you saw stuff in the wind, but they didn't see the wind. Where they have hurricanes, you know, there's, there's water that's picked up and so forth, but they don't see the wind. They see what's in the wind. And what it is, is a, it's a demonstration of how powerful wind can be. And you, you don't even see it coming. But it's there. It's interesting that both in the, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word wind and spirit are the same word. And so, where it's talking about the Spirit of God, the wind of God, it's the same thing, it's, it's that power. 
When God breathed in man, he breathed in him the breath of life. That was the same word that's used for wind. Moses, or excuse me, um, it, it, it demonstrates the power that the Holy Spirit has in our life. Now, there, there needs to be an expectations. We may not be able to see the winds, but we can see the effects. We can see what it produces in our lives and in the lives of others. The second phenomena was the appearance of tongues of fire resting on each individual. Tongues of fire. Well, throughout the Bible, we see that, that, that fire symbolizes Number one, it symbolizes God's um, holy presence. But it also represents the purification process. You know, we see Moses when he sees the burning bush and the bush is not being consumed, but God's in the bush. And so we see the fire representing him. We understand that if you wanna, wanna purify gold and other elements, what do you do? You heat it up. And it brings the dross up so that you can separate the impurity from the pure. And so what that fire represents, it, it represents the holy presence of God, the Holy Spirit in your life is the presence of a holy God in your life. But it also represents purification. The Holy Spirit has come into our lives to purge, to purify us, to make us what Jesus has declared us to be. Jesus said, you are a holy people. It says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. But you know what? We're there positionally but we haven't experienced it to its fullness yet. And so the Holy Spirit has come into our lives so that we might not be just simply pure positionally. He's done it so that he can work in our lives so that we can be that pure and holy people that he's called us to be. And so fire represents that, that purification. But you know what? It also represents what we are to be as a people of God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking, speaking concerning uh, the seven churches. And he says in Revelation 3, 15 and 16, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would wish that you are hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm gonna vomit you out of my mouth. Well, that's disgusting. <laughs> yes, it is. You know what lukewarm is? It's room temperature. When I have my boiling hot cup of coffee and I set it on my desk and I let it sit there long enough, you know, I, I don't let coffee go to waste, and so if it sat there overnight, I drink it in the morning. And it's lukewarm. And it's the same thing with something that's cold. I have my nice Diet Coke, and, and it's nice and cold, but I don't, you know, I, I forget to drink the last swallow, and so 
You know, the next day I drink last swallow and guess what? It's not cold anymore. It's lukewarm. And you know why in both cases it's lukewarm? Because it's affected by the room temperature. It's affected by its environment. And what Jesus is saying, I wish that you were either hot or cold. If you're hot, you're turned on for God. If you're cold, you know you're a poor, miserable sinner and you need to be saved by grace. When you're, when you're lukewarm, you think you're okay. And you just continue to hang out at room temperature because it's comfortable. The Holy Ghost doesn't want you comfortable. He wants us moving on in the things that he's made available to us. And so he says he's going to spew us out of his mouth. Why? Because unless we're hot, we're not going to be effective at what Acts 1 and 2 is all about. That we might be a witness of the glory of God to all the world. But if we're lukewarm, we're just like everybody else. The Bible says that we are a peculiar people. <clears throat> that means we're different. Now this is really deep, so you, you, you probably really hang on here. If you're not different, you're the same. And so if we're the same as the world, we're not different than the world. And if they can't tell a difference, why should they want anything different? Whew. Don't ask me to repeat that. But that's why we're to be hot for God. It isn't just so that we can tell everybody how holy and wonderful we are. It's so that we demonstrate to a lost and dying world that there's hope. They have no hope. London had terrorist attacks again yesterday. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, I got a, um, on Facebook, I, I looked up and there was um, Nancy, who we support, who's in Rayma, London, uh, in the Bible school there. And uh, she said, pray for us in London, for the people of London. But then she goes on and she tells about the school because ultimately, that's the only hope for the people of London. Jesus. You may be looking all over the place for the answer. And the answer is right on the inside of you. It's known as the Holy Spirit. Paul later stated in the gospel concerning the power, I mean in the gospels concerning, concerning the gospel, the power of the God. He says in Romans 1.16, he says, for I am not ashamed I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. Once again, we're all lumped together. The third phenomenon was praying in tongues. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they began to pray in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we won't go into that because we've already talked about it to some degree concerning the Tower of Babel, what, what, how God used tongues to separate man. He's used it to bring us together. He's used it so that when we don't know how to pray, we can pray. But you know what? By and large, tongues isn't even supposed to be about the power of the Holy Spirit isn't supposed to be about me. The power of the Holy Spirit is to be about those that don't need Jesus, that still need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you know what? Until we get the revelation of that, are we gonna truly fulfill what God's called us to do? And I said there were, there were three things, I mean four things. The fourth is, the goal of God's plan is that he will be glorified among the nations. That's God's plan. It isn't just that he's glorified here in the United States of America, although we're one of the nations. But his, his desire, his, his goal is for, for him to be glorified in all the nations. Notice what, going back to Acts, the second chapter again, these Jews from all these nations heard the disciples, and it says in the 11th verse, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Do you know what we're to speak about? We're to speak about the mighty deeds of God. Do you know what that is? That's what he's done in your life. You know, <clears throat> we get all woo-woo about the Holy Ghost. And he is pretty woo-woo. But we, we, we sometimes, we, we get caught up in that. But I, in Revelation, book of Revelations, it says that our testimonies are the spirit of prophecy. That when we begin to speak out what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. I believe prophecy is something that's to penetrate the life of somebody else. It's not supposed to be just words, nice words that we hear. And our testimony is as a spirit of prophecy, it's to impact, affect the lives of somebody else because it's telling them this same thing can happen in your life. This is what Jesus can and will do in you and through you. And shortly hereafter, that verse 11, Peter gets up and he preaches the message, the first message preached other than Jesus under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 folk get saved. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus 
needed the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't see Jesus doing miraculous works until after his baptism when the Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him and he, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he is tempted by the evil one and the evil one could not overcome him because every time the evil one brought up something against Jesus, he used the word of God against him. That's what you and I are supposed to do. You know, I left this out concerning the tongues of fire. I believe the tongues of fire represent the fire that's in our tongue when we speak out the word of God. That when we speak that word, purification, it comes first in our lives, but then it affects the lives of everyone else as well. So the goal of the gospel is the glory of God. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so that the gospel can be preached so that Jesus will be glorified. I don't know about you, I, I, I wanna, I don't leave this scene. I got a mansion in heaven that's just waiting for me. But you know what, in order for that to manifest, we've got to finish the work that's before us. I like this quote. It comes from John Pepper and he says, the reason mission exists is because worship does not. Well, well, pastor, you know, we, we worship God. What's true worship? True worship is the will of God being manifested in the earth. True worship is seeing all nations hear and come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've taken worship and we've brought it to a place where it, it yes, it should be personal, but it's about me, it's about us, rather than being about this world that needs Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, when I went to Bible school, went to Christian Outreach School of Ministries, and I went down there, and, and I had one goal, you know, to get through school and get ordained and go someplace and start a church and have nine or 10 families, and, and you know, because, you know, if they all tie, that'll support me that way, you know, <clears throat> you know but, but find nine or 10 families that tithe and then we'll just hang out until Jesus comes back. It just, it, it, it just sounded so appealing and, and so wonderful and that, that, that's my goal. Then I went to Bible school and, and the school I went to, it had, had faults, but, but the great positive that they had was they were all about missionary, missions. You know, the majority of the, you know, uh, teachers and, and people that came back had been, spent the majority of their life on the mission field. And so, all at once, I realized something. It isn't about me and my four and no more. It's about a whole world that hasn't heard about Jesus. And I, I can't reach the world, but I have to have a part in it. You can't reach the world, 
But you have to have a part in it. And I don't understand. I think it's an absolute impossibility to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to live big on the inside of me and not have a heart for the lost, a heart for the missions, whether it be to go or send somebody as my replacement, as Smith said. He said, every one of us has a responsibility to missions. And every one of us has a responsibility to either go or send a replacement. I want to do both. And so should you. That's our purpose. To send the gospel. What's the purpose? What's the reason? What's the meaning of Pentecost? so that you and I can be equipped to bring God's glory to this earth that we live in. And we do that by presenting Jesus to those that are lost and hopeless because their only answer is Jesus. So here we are on the day of Pentecost. And there's, there's this tremendous miracle that takes place. It's a class A miracle. As a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And marvelous things are taking place. People are being saved. Paul, Peter's preaches and 3,000 people are, are saved and other things are taking place. But you know what? Even then, there were the mockers. There were those that said it wasn't real. They're just a bunch of drunks. It wasn't real. And you know what? We can perform miracles. And there are people that'll look at it. And they'll mock it. And they'll say it isn't real. But don't get offended. They did that to the disciples. Why, why wouldn't they do it to us? Don't get upset. Just live it. Live it. Because there's something that no man, no woman, no, no child, no demon, no angel, no devil can ever take away from you. And that's what Jesus has done in your life. Major on Jesus. Major on the miracle of all miracles. You, who was lost, is now saved. You, who was damned to hell, is now on the journey to heaven. You, because of Jesus and because of the power of the Holy Spirit can live that triumphant life that God's made available to each and every one of us. Let me close by reading out of the book of, of Philippians. Philippians, the second chapter, the ninth verse. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're here to bring our Father glory. And the way that we do that is by confessing the name that is above every other name before those who don't know, who don't believe. The meaning of Pentecost, the reason for Pentecost, Pentecost is God's tool to you and I that we might see a lost and dying world come to full knowledge of the completed works of Jesus. And when we do that, he and he alone receives all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for the day of Pentecost when you poured out your spirit upon humanity that we might be empowered from on high, that we might be your witnesses to all nations. Father, I pray that that truth would be revelation in each of our hearts and in each of our minds that we might walk in the fullness of it and fulfill your plan and purpose in the earth. So I thank you. I thank you for these sons of God that are present here today. And I pray that each one of us would receive a fresh, new desire to reach out to others, whether it be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or to the remotest parts of the earth, to reach out and fulfill your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Pentecost. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And give somebody a hug, let them know you love them, and have a blessed and wonderful day. In Jesus' name, amen.